I call something what it is, like if that's enough to make you not want to read me and say that, you know, I'm too, I'm too this or I'm too that, or I'm not objective, then, then I also guess that my reporting isn't for you. The upheaval in the journalism industry has prompted many reporters to re-examine the principles that uphold our profession to see if they remain valid in our current political climate. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. We've done a number of podcast episodes recently about the need for newsrooms across the country to diversify themselves. Today I'm going to be talking to Tina Vasquez, a reporter for PRISM, who recently wrote a piece for Neiman Lab entitled, Is Movement Journalism What Is Needed During This Reckoning Over Race and Inequality? Welcome to the podcast, Tina. Hi, thank you for having me. When we have these podcasts, I'd like to find out a little bit about the background of our guests to sort of get going. Tell me how you got interested in journalism and how you ended up at PRISM. I would say that I entered journalism pretty untraditionally. I always knew that I wanted to be a journalist. Like I, you know, wrote for the school newspaper in middle school and was the editor in chief and all of that. Went to community college, took every journalism class there was, and then actually dropped out of college like entirely (laughs) to help my brother raise his kids. And so I started freelancing because I needed money and I, you know, just used kind of the skills that I learned in community college journalism classes. So I was a freelancer for many, many years, and I didn't get my first journalism job until I was 30. And I was an immigration reporter at a website that covered sexual and reproductive health rights and justice. And so my beat sort of by accident became, you know, the intersection of immigration and reproductive injustice. So I did that for a few years, got laid off like a lot of journalists do, actually left the field for several months entirely. And then, you know, saw the PRISM job and was very excited and applied and didn't think that I would get it because I interviewed for a lot of journalism jobs that I didn't get, but I I got the job. And so been at PRISM since February and there I cover immigration and gender justice and workers' rights. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about PRISM as a news outlet. What's its focus? Yeah, we're a very small outlet. Our entire editorial team is all women of color. And, you know, the way that we kind of frame it is that we cover the issues and the places and the people that are largely ignored by mainstream media outlets. And we also like try very hard to center the people that are most impacted by the issues that we report on. Okay. And was this the first time that you've done this type of uh, reporting? No, I mean, I think I've done this kind of reporting my entire life, but it wasn't until relatively recently that I started to kind of develop the language to learn how to talk about, you know, how I did the reporting that I do. Okay. And actually, you developing the language of how you want to do what you're doing is one of the things that got me really interested in you and in the the story you wrote for Neiman and a little bit of your, I guess, I would say development as a reporter and your, your particular approach. So, one of the organizations I saw that you're involved in is you're a board member of Press On. You know, how did you get involved with them and, and what's the mission of that organization? Yeah, thank you. I love talking about Press On because they did really change my journalism life. So, I mean, I I moved to North Carolina and Lewis Wallace lived in North Carolina. And it was right around the time that Lewis got fired from Marketplace, like right after Trump took office. He's a trans journalist and he wrote a personal blog 
questioning objectivity and, and how a journalist should work under the Trump administration. He got fired and, you know, it made headlines. He was the first trans journalist fired right after Trump took office. And I learned that he lived in North Carolina in Durham, not far from where I live. So we ended up meeting up and having coffee and just like, you know, commiserating about how horrible the journalism industry could be. So we became friends. And through that friendship, you know, Lewis and his colleagues just kind of took me on this movement journalism journey with them. Anna Simonton, who's a co-founder of the organization Press On. So they're like a Southern journalism collective that supports movement journalism. So Anna Simonton wrote this report a few years back for an organization called Project South, and the report was called Out of Struggle. And so it, it kind of named movement journalism and defined it as kind of acting in service of social, political, and economic transformation. And then, you know, focusing on the South, using sources, including, you know, community organizers and cultural workers in the South to do that reporting. So that, you know, was really foundational for my understanding of movement journalism. And then once they formed Press On officially, they asked me to join as a mentor, which was nuts because I'd never even been mentored, um, but I, I served as a mentor in their Freedom Ways Fellowship for, you know, journalists of color across the South who wanted to do movement journalism. Just because it's a small world, we we actually did have Lewis on our podcast talking about his views on objectivity and uh, his experience leaving Marketplace. But anyway, you know, I, I think you did sort of touch on this, but how would you describe movement journalism? I mean, what I'm learning since I wrote that Neiman Reports article, since a lot of journalists reach out to me, is people are coming to embrace it and define it in very different ways. I, I guess for me, it's very wrapped up in the work that Anna Simonton did in the way that Press On defines it. So I guess like my short definition that I always work with is that it's it's journalism in service of liberation and it you know seeks to meet the needs of the communities directly infect, affected by injustice. So, and also I would say as an extension of that, the way that I do journalism is that I don't always see myself as reporting on communities, but rather reporting with or alongside. So I, I end up working very closely with people who are sources for the piece, but trying very hard to respond directly to their information needs, whether or not that information has anything to do with the reporting or ends up in the reporting, just kind of using the skills that I have and the power that I have as a journalist to get them the information that they need for their communities. That, that's come up a lot during COVID, especially, but broadly, that's kind of how I work. What you described, and I'm sure if you describe that to many traditional journalists, one of the things they would say is, like, oh, that's advocacy journalism. That's not journalism. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. I mean, I don't purport to be a mouthpiece for movements. I've actually, <laughs> you know, I try really hard to shift narratives. And while I do center advocates in my reporting a lot, often because they are people who come from directly affected communities, I think there's this understanding that like organizers or activists or advocates aren't also impacted people, but all of like, if you're an, you know, organizer and immigrant rights world, then you're undocumented also. And those are people that I use as sources. But, you know, I also write really, really uncomfortable stories and don't, really adhere to tidy narratives. And sometimes that does not gel with organizations and movements that I've covered before. That kind of happened recently when I was covering the forced operations performed by the doctor in Georgia, you know, that 
I heard from directly impacted women, some women who'd been operated on by the doctor and who interacted with the whistleblower who, who said some uncomfortable things about the whistleblower and said that she was complicit in what they experienced at the detention center. And that did not go over well with organizations that I have covered for a very long time. But I'm, you know, clear in that my reporting is to center, in that case, directly affected women who were detained at the Irwin County Detention Center. And so, you know, I've never identified as an advocate. I've never seen myself as doing advocacy. I just do the reporting that I do. But I see that happening a lot. It's kind of a a way to dismiss the work that movement journalists do. I think that's pretty common. And with advocacy then would come questions about objectivity. I mean, we're journalists. We're supposed to be objective in our reporting, aren't we? <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> I've, I've always I mean, been That's what here. everybody's telling you. Why aren't you objective? But, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I've largely covered immigration my entire career, my entire adult life, and I've always been very clear in my understanding that you know, the abuse and mistreatment that undocumented immigrants experience in this country is wrong. And I think if other journalists who who cover the mistreatment that undocumented immigrants experience, especially those who are detained, I think that they would tell you the same thing. I just, I don't, I don't play that game. I don't pretend like what I'm seeing isn't wrong. And to try to pursue some sort of false objective or false narrative in order to support the idea of objectivity, the fact that you're for lack of a better word, embedded because of you, you've been covering this community for a long time. You have a perspective because you're there and you see these things. Yeah. I would say that, you know, being raised where I was raised, I grew up in Southeast LA. My dad, you know, migrated to the U S as a, as a younger person, he came to the U S without authorization. I still have family members who are undocumented. I grew up with undocumented friends and family, you know, seeing firsthand how the system plays out and how it often did not gel with what was being reported was also really instrumental to how I cover immigration. We talk a lot about the system and we mean, I guess we mean, you know, the government and and society and et cetera, but also I guess journalism is part of that system. How do you think journalism has sort of failed in the way it's covering these communities? What I always think is interesting when I look at like mainstream reporting about immigration or like immigration reporting from legacy outlets is that there are no undocumented people quoted pretty regularly. You know, so if you are reading reporting about this horrible new policy that brutalizes undocumented immigrants in the US, there will be Trump quotes and Stephen Miller quotes and quotes from ICE and DHS officials, but nowhere in the piece are the people most impacted by this policy you know, I see that as a real failure. And if you kind of look at how immigration has been covered, not even that long ago, referring to undocumented immigrants as illegals, that language was really, really so common that they had to, I think it was Jose Antonio Vargas who launched the Drop the I Word campaign to get newspapers to stop calling people illegals. I mean, the failures are all over the place and we're still seeing them, especially under the Trump administration. Yeah. And it's funny, we we just... Uh... Just this morning, I, I was uh, checking the comments on the the website that I work on, and, and uh, I did a crime report, and there were people there with with non traditional American names that somebody jumped on this this morning in the comments. And, oh, they they must be illegals, and so even something this perceived objective, which is just sort of a, a straight crime report, can trigger people and trigger these sort of these perceptions. 
Yeah, it's very strange. Like I've received comments, you know, you can't work in the U.S. Like you legally cannot be employed if you are undocumented. (laughs) And based on my reporting and my name, you know, people have threatened to call ICE on me or to say that they're going to deport me. The assumption being that because I'm a Latina with the name that I have, that I must be undocumented, which is so strange. (laughs) It's so strange. I think it's a weird form of Karenism, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> this idea that I'm going to I'm going to use this authority to devalue the the message that you're putting out there because I don't recognize you as having the same rights that I have. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's it's this is something that we do. We talk about this at work all the time about like you know comments that people make and whatnot, and just like just going, you know. A lot of our readers really kind of suck. <laughs> they're just really they're jerks that they don't think through things. And I'm sure this is at some point these comments will resurface to to, to haunt me. But anyway, I was really profoundly moved by your story. I was really inspired by your story that you wrote for Neiman, and which which kind of led me down the rabbit hole of, of looking to your background and and sort of seeing the experience is that you've been through because. You know, your story, you know, as I said, we had Lewis on the podcast before. This is something that I've seen develop over the last, you know, five years or so. This idea, especially with younger journalists who are questioning the sort of staid traditions of our of our industry. Now, with everything being questioned about our society, you know, I think it's kind of good that we have people who are questioning, well, why do we believe this? Why do we follow these tenets? maybe they themselves are a mechanism that are kind of working against the larger good. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I have talked a lot about how journalism can be deeply harmful, you know, and I've actually, I've attended workshops about how to build trust with the public, given that we've (laughs) endured a few years now of being called fake news So like, how do you repair that damage? And the bigger thing that a person like me is up against is that I report on issues in communities that have been covered very poorly by the media, where, you know, communities have experienced racist coverage. And so I might be the first journalist that they're personally interacting with, and they're very standoffish. And I'm trying to set the bar very high with them because it needs to be like, I, it's a really, really tough job. It's important to me that the people that I, you know, report on and report with and work alongside understand that like one of my primary goals as a journalist is reducing harm. And it's especially true for very vulnerable communities like undocumented communities, black communities. It's a trust building process and it doesn't always lead to reporting or stories. But to me, that's like a very ethical way to do the work that's really important to me. And I don't know if journalists at mainstream outlets take similar steps that I do to reduce harm, but increasingly that's, important to me. And I feel like other journalists would accuse me of like of crossing a line or, um, you know, or not being objective, which I've never had a lot of concerns about how other journalists view my work. But I, I just know what things are important to me and how building trust is important to me and how keeping people safe is really important to me. And if that doesn't gel with mainstream journalism, then I'm totally fine with that. Going back again to your to your article, even the title of it, the the need addressing the concerns over 
you know, race and inequality in newsrooms. How could movement journalism, do you think, transform traditional newsrooms? Anyone can be a movement journalist, but in my experience, it's people who come from the communities that they report on, you know, and I think that makes a really big difference for building trust and getting the story right. I mean, in that piece, I talk about how it's like a big scam in journalism that journalists of color and other marginalized people have been made to feel like we can't accurately report on issues affecting our communities because we're too close to the story. But really, I feel very strongly that it means that we understand nuances that reporters who have no personal experience or understanding of certain issues, it just means that we get it right or we do the reporting very differently in a way that really serves the community, which I think for me is the point of my journalism. You know, I, only as I've gotten older have I started to think about the reporting that I do. And I just don't want to report on an event or report on a thing that I heard or a thing that's unfolding. But how am I really, really trying to respond to the needs of the community with the reporting that I do? And I don't know, maybe it's because of the way that I'm siloed, but it seems to me that a lot of the journalists of color that I know and deeply respect are also thinking through how to do that in a way that's like very ethical and that reduces harm in their communities. And so, you know, again, anyone can identify as a movement journalist or or do the work in the ways that we're describing. But I really do feel like I understand nuances that like, you know, for example, a white reporter who doesn't come from an immigrant family or a mixed status family. I grew up seeing the nuances. I grew up seeing how the system plays out. And so that leads to a different kind of reporting. What I reacted to in in reading your story and finding out more about you is, is kind of this passionate approach that you have to movement journalism into the perspective of your reporting and, you know, the sort of your desire to create content that is sort of moving, you know, the story forward and and representing people that the stories are actually about. And that's something I think, I think a lot of reporters would recognize that one of the reasons we sort of get into this is this idea that we want to make the world better. But on the other hand, I think sometimes we fall into these traps you know, maybe it's objectivity, maybe it's, you know, false balance where we sort of shackle ourselves with, well, I got to do it this way. So I can't be involved. I I shouldn't, you know, I got to make sure I got to balance that coverage, you know, and so you end up sort of distinguishing yourself from what the actual story is. And I think that can be troubling. And I think people do find that sometimes in their career that they're not maybe doing the stories that they really want to do or that either that they're passionate about or, or have an impact that they wish they had. Yeah, and I, I do have empathy for those reports. Like, I I understand that not all journalists get to operate the way that I have been able to because of the kind of places where I have worked. And I understand that a lot of journalists who work at, you know, maybe more mainstream outlets are very confined in how they can report or what they can say. I have empathy for them because that, to me, that just seems really, really unsustainable and really challenging to navigate. And it's something that I, I don't think that I could do. What's funny is that you lay this conversation across what's going on in our industry right now, what has been going on in our industry of journalists losing their jobs, of, you know, newsrooms folding for various economic reasons. And at the same time, you have a larger societal shift where people want to, you know, hold people accountable and, you know, they question these these issues about, you know, the way race inequality and equity is being covered. And then you you have people coming up like you and saying, look, you know, we need to create journalism that are telling the stories that are going on now of these different segments of our society. And, 
you know, when we talk about mainstream media, usually what that means in most people's head is like, you know, network TV or the big newspaper or the big TV station in their town. But, you know, the industry is splintered so much that there are small organizations like PRISM that have a particular perspective. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing. I think we're seeing these smaller organizations coming up with this, you know, baked from the beginning. This is how they're going to cover journalism. This is how we're going to be different. Yeah, I mean, it's my hope that outlets like ours can kind of fill those gaps. You know, like as a reader, as a person who consumes a lot of news, not even as a journalist, of course, I turn to outlets like the New York Times, you know, but as I get older and because I under, I mean, also this field can feel very strange. Like if you have no understanding of how journalism works, right? Like a lot of this is very insider baseball. But as I get older, I start to see that so many of us rely on really big outlets like the New York Times. And as a journalist, I can sometimes see that it's not always necessarily like the most amazing reporting. You know, it's just access. It's access to information and resources. They can do things that outlets like ours cannot, but I still need them and rely on them and turn to them for the kinds of information that I, I don't have access to even as a journalist. So, you know, everybody kind of has a role to play. And I think, you know, PRISM is very, very small and very young and we're fighting our, our footing still. But I do think that we're filling in some really, really important gaps for people who are directly affected by issues. And they want to see people who look like them and sound like them and who are experiencing the same things as them really centered in reporting. Okay. And maybe we, we sort of cracked this before, but let me ask you this specifically. What is it about objectivity, do you think, that is sometimes problematic for journalism? <laughs> I mean, the thing that I always think about is when I'm asked questions about objectivity, I can't remember who it was now, but there was a lot of anger from readers and even other journalists sometimes who kind of do the kind of work that I do that mainstream journalists won't say something like, you know, President Trump lied. Like you have to kind of skirt that entirely and find much kinder writing to say that. It's such a strange way to be. Like it's so strange to pretend like something like the family separation policy at the border wasn't brutal and atrocious and a human rights violation. It's strange to me that as reporters, just because you're a reporter, you're supposed to pretend like things aren't disgusting when they're disgusting, that you can't call a lie a lie. That's just, to me, that's not factual. It's not, you know, based in truth. And so if that's what it means to be a journalist and adhere to objectivity, then that's just not something that I'm, that I'm interested in. Like I'm, I'm a person and I'm a journalist and I know when something is abuse, I know when something is harmful, I know when something's a human rights violation. And I don't, I've never understood the problem with saying that directly. Hmm. And I think part of the problem is again, the environment we're in is that someone who would read a story that you've written that, that following that the philosophy that you just described would turn around and say, well, you're not objective. You're just being a, a mouthpiece for whatever, you know, side of the street that you're, you're covering. And I know that there are probably some journalists out there who are concerned about that. I know there are people who want to, you know, be more active, but they don't want to open themselves up to this sort of criticism. Yeah. And that's a really tough line to walk, you know, because I don't want to preach to the choir. You know, I certainly want people who don't come from the world that I come from to read my reporting and to learn something. So it's really difficult to navigate that. And also my feelings that if that's how you feel about my reporting, because I, 
I call something what it is. Like if that's enough to make you not want to read me and say that, you know, I'm too, I'm too this or I too that, or I'm not objective, then, then I also guess that my reporting isn't for you. You know, I don't know. I'm still having trouble navigating that. Yeah. You know, the two points in that one, one I'm thinking about, you know, journalists coming up with different ways that rather than just saying what something is, you know, I think of the sort of the creation of, you know what a truth sandwich is? No. <laughs> okay. This is something that Jay Rosen, who's uh, is a, a journalistic pundit, sort of came up with. It's this idea, and it specifically came as a way to respond to the way our president lies. That early on, people would just report straight out in their lead what the president said. Is mm-hmm. that the president said this? That's a bold-faced lie. And so what Ray Rosen did is he came up with a strategy called a truth sandwich. That in reporting the lie, the first thing you say is the president lied about X. <laughs> then you say, then you quote the president, which is the lie. And then you finish by saying that is incorrect and here's why. And <laughs> the this is kind of that strange sort of approach that people come up with to deal with not having to say that bold face that it's a lie. That you have to present it in a certain way. In order for the people who are reading the content, you know, rather than just reading the, the headline in the first line, which would have been the lie, they, they get an indication from the very beginning, okay, this is not true, yeah. what we're going to tell you. But here's what he said, and here's why it's not true. That's anyway, it is, it is interesting, <laughs> and it's, but it's also kind of funny that we have to come up with this sort of language and the a way we parse our information in order for us to report the news. And the other thing that, that you're getting that you're getting me thinking about a lot is organizations like Prism, when you think about for the longest time in America, there was uh, an alternative press specifically aimed at race. There were black news outlets covering issues for that community. And there was sort of this sense that in journalism that we needed to to sort of break away from that somehow needed to bring those audiences into the mainstream newsrooms and they should be part of our culture. But clearly that's not necessarily working out. It's not because, you know, those reporters are brought into the newsroom and they sort of become part of whatever the nature of the newsroom is. And it doesn't really kind of, it ends up reflecting more the perception of the larger newsroom rather than the perception of a a smaller community. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, when I first kind of joined Press On as a mentor, that came up a lot. Like all of our fellows were indigenous or people of color or non-binary. So like, you know, and they lived in the South and they were doing journalism. And I mean, we kind of touch on it in the Neiman Reports article, but so much of what we ended up doing was just commiserating about how harmful journalism was and, you know, what a toxic industry it was, especially for people of color. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny for the longest time, even up right through the civil rights movement, the idea was we need to bring, you know, black people into the newsroom and increase our coverage that way. But, you know, here we are, large groups of uh, the country feel they're underreported and their stories are not being told and their, you know, their faces are not being represented in the staffs and in the, the management of these companies. So yes, easy to understand the frustration, but also be, also begin to understand why they're not being covered well. Those communities right. are not being covered well. <laughs> well, this has been a, a fascinating conversation all over the place. So let's wrap it up with something something positive. Not that none of this hasn't been positive. This is for me. This is like super positive, being able to talk about this stuff. But 
somebody listening to this for the first time learning that there's this idea of movement journalism, how can somebody find out more about it? How could somebody become a movement journalist? Yeah, I would highly suggest checking out Press On, the organization. It's kind of a home for movement journalism in the South. They do trainings about movement journalism. They do these kind of like newsroom disruptions where they're trying to chart, to teach different you know outlets and newsrooms how to operate differently, how to be more hospitable places for movement journalists and reporters of color. So for me, that would, I mean, that's, that's how I started to feel like I was finally finding my footing in the industry after, you know, a decade of doing this work. So I, I think that's a really good place to start. And so is Anna Simonton's report out of struggle that she wrote for Project South that really kind of outlines the bigger goals of movement journalism. And then also just to kind of tap into this community that I see growing online. You know, I know that there's a Twitter list of different movement journalists that you can connect with and whose work you can read. Um, A lot of people are reaching out to me personally, especially young women of color who want to be movement journalists or want to transition in a way that, you know, they're doing journalism that more adheres to their values. And so I'm, I'm always down to talk to especially young women of color journalists who are interested in doing this work. Which gets me to think one last question. If I was a journalist and I were, well, I am a journalist, but if I was a journalist and I was looking for a, a job <laughs> and suddenly I, so the only job I was able to find was in, in PR, I would hesitate to do that because, well, if I go into PR, then what does that mean for me as a journalist? Am I only going to be able to work in PR the rest of my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody, do you think there's a similar situation where somebody went would maybe have concern about becoming a movement journalist because that that would somehow taint their their career? Do you think that's a, a legitimate concern? I, I understand the concern um, for sure, and we I kind of get into in in the Neiman Reports article how I understand, especially for older journalists of color who have fought really hard to be seen as objective and to be seen as serious journalists in a field that essentially did not want them or that ostracized them or made them feel like the other or that they were too close to the communities they were reporting on. I understand why embracing movement journalism is scary. And I I am certain also that it will cause some editors and outlets to dismiss you. But I would also say that you'll find a home and you'll be able to sleep with the kind of work that you do at night (laughs) and you'll be able to build trust in communities. That's really, really important. And to me, those things are more important than what, you know, other journalists think of you. Excellent. I think it's a great place for us to stop. I'm talking to Tina Vasquez of PRISM about movement journalism. Tina, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.